Hey, self-improver. A better world starts with a better you, and yes, you can. So let's take another step toward your best self today. It's been a minute since I did one of these, but it's time for a self-improvement sit down. Basically, rather than featuring a quick three minute insight about a personal development idea, in these self-improvement sit down episodes, we hear straight from experts and leaders who dive deep into a topic that is fundamental to our self-growth and living a fulfilling life. If you just want more of the short episodes you know and love from this podcast, don't worry, it's not going anywhere and you'll get a new one tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But as for now, let's immerse ourselves in the wisdom and practical approach of a good friend who is completely transforming a timeless practice. Get ready to dig in. This is Self-Improvement Sit-Down number 61 with Nicholas Hutchison. And we are live. Today's guest is Nick Hutchison. Nick is the founder of Book Thinkers, whose mission is to bridge the gap between authors and readers in the self-improvement space. You might already know his work by following the very popular Instagram account at BookThinkers, and he's recently become an author himself, releasing his first book, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn. Let's dive in. Nick, what's up? Thanks for taking the time to share, brother. Brian, I am constantly impressed by everything that you do. So thank you for the opportunity. And I'm happy to jam out on reading, my favorite subject. Of course. Of course. Me too. Yeah. I know that we talk a lot about it. So let's share some of those inside tips with everybody so that we can we can lift each other up here. So I do want to talk about three main topics that are very tactical to reading and how you get the most out of reading. But before that, I think there's a larger conversation around self-improvement and the role that reading plays within self-improvement. I know a lot of people hope to bring positive change to their life because they read, but there's often a disconnect between the content and the action or behavior change or whatever it might be. So what are some of your comments around kind of the role that reading does play in self-improvement and, you know, at large self-improvement in our own pursuits of it? Well, for me, I know that reading plays a huge role in self-improvement, and I think it should for a lot of people because <clears throat> reading a great personal development book condenses decades of the author's lived experience and greatest life lessons into days or potentially a couple of weeks of reading and application. And so I've found myself saying recently that life doesn't have to be so hard because other people have already figured it out and they've written about it and you can get access to those great secrets for $20 or less in a few hours of your time. And so for me, there's no greater act of self-improvement than reading a great self-improvement book. And there are books to solve about, I mean, pretty much every problem that you can think of. I read books about health and fitness, nutrition, diet. I read books about personal finance, business, sales, marketing, communication. I read books about relationships, mental health, and everything in between. And so I think it should play a huge role for everybody, but I know for me, it does definitely play a big role. Yeah. And that's because, you know, you have a certain intention and in what you're trying to develop. And we're going to get to that in a second, exactly how it can be really curated in the resources you expose yourself to. But again, there's that translation piece and you've been able to master it, which is, okay, you're not just reading, you're actually reading and applying. And I feel like a lot of people get stuck in a certain loop. I call it the personal development junkie cycle, where it's, you continue to consume and expose and 
just like try and digest information, but there doesn't really translate to, to any meaningful change. I'm wondering if you've noticed that, you know, there's almost like a compulsive productivity angle to reading where people feel like they're improving, but things aren't actually changing. What would you say to someone who's, who's kind of in that and, uh, and looking to move forward through it? Yeah, I think sometimes reading can become a form of procrastination, like you've highlighted. There's a fun analogy that I've developed for this. So imagine you set out to cook the world's best chicken parm. So you buy an entire cookbook on just chicken parm. You study that thing, you take notes, you dog your pages, you highlight, you even buy all of the ingredients. And then you fail to actually make the chicken parm, right? That would seem really weird. But we buy books on entrepreneurship and we fail to start businesses. We buy books on productivity and we never implement any of the things that we've read. We buy books on dating and relationships and then we never ask anybody out. And so I think you're right. These books do become a form of procrastination because you can envision yourself taking action. And for some of us, like that actually triggers a dopamine release. You feel good thinking about taking action. And as a result, you never actually take the action. There's a great Napoleon Hill quote that says, action is the real measure of intelligence. And so when I think about my reading habits, I'm not optimizing for reading, I'm not reading for the sake of reading. I'm not reading for 52 books a year or 104 books a year. I'm reading to take action and improve my life, to get closer to the person I know I can become if I leverage all of the combined wisdom that's out there and implement it directly into my life, change my behavior. And that happens through taking action. So over the years of building my community that you mentioned in the intro, BookThinkers, I've received hundreds and hundreds of questions about the reading process. How do I choose the right books? How do I take effective notes? How do I retain more? And most importantly, how do I implement more from the books I'm reading? Because that's where all of the magic happens. It's the implementation of the material that creates a different life. And we're all looking for a different life, something that's better, more fulfilling, healthier, wealthier, happier, however you want to phrase it, books are a great vehicle to get us there, but you have to take action. So yeah, I, I love this subject, man. I love all of these subjects. This is uh, what I'm starting to realize my purpose is. It's to help other people take action on the personal development information that they read and consume. <laughs> Well, we have so much to dive in with that. There are three things you mentioned that are ridiculously close to home. First of all, chicken Parmesan is my very favorite food. So it's random that you, <laughs> that you said that example, my very favorite food. Second is the procrastination piece. Like I absolutely agree. And I can even remember the day when I was counting how many pages I was reading, how many books I was reading. In fact, I was telling you all of that as my accountability partner for it. And I realized that a lot of that was coming from my ego and trying to be perceived a certain way of, oh, look how much I'm reading and how much I know and how much I'm learning. And it was, it was emptier than I'd like to admit, right? Because it was for the surface level reasons of, okay, I'm trying to prove that I'm self-developed instead of, oh, let me do the work and actually become more self-developed, right? And then the third, and, and this is a perfect segue is, you know, you have a quote in your book, which is the right book at the right time can change your life. So it is all about finding that thing that you need right now that's most urgent, that's most ripe and ready for the picking in your life to be able to improve it. Find someone who, as you said, already has the answer key. You just got to kind of check it out and apply it for yourself. So with that in mind, let's move on to how we can actually get more from the actual books that we're reading. Because if we're going to be investing the time in it, then we want to make sure we're getting the most out of it. So the first topic is actually just about 
people wanting to read more, you know, especially in today's culture and society, we are so busy. We don't have any extra time for things on our plate. Oftentimes our reading habits are deprioritized because they're least essential, but oftentimes they can help us be more effective and create more times and efficiencies and whatever in our lives. So for those who are looking to read more and they have that interest and intention, let's say around the new year or just in general in their self-development, what what are some recommendations you have for people to build that reading habit and find opportunities for them to read in their day? When people tell me, hey, Nick, or when they say to you, hey, Brian, I'd love to read, but I don't have the time. I'm too busy. I have kids. I have a business. I have other priorities. I love to follow up with the following question. I love to say, if I paid you $10,000 to read a book by the end of the month, do you think you could do it? And that same person who just told me they didn't have time to read, they're like, well, of course I could. I could read five, right? Could I make $50,000? So they've fallen into my trap. It's not a matter of whether or not you can read. It's a, it's a question of whether or not you value it enough to prioritize it in your calendar. So for the majority of your listeners today that do value reading, they just don't know how to fit it into their calendars. Here's my recommendation. Instead of trying to find time, Let's replace a low impact activity like scrolling on social media or binge watching Netflix, watching sports on the weekend, something that really doesn't serve you in the long term with reading a great book, something that does serve your future self. You're setting yourself up for success. As James Clear alludes to in Atomic Habits, he says, every activity that you participate in today, every action you take, every habit you have is a vote for the person you're becoming. And so if you want to be somebody who's succeeding in life, reading is a great step in the right direction. And so in as little as 15 minutes a day, you can read 10 books a year. In as little as 30 minutes a day, you can read 20 books a year. And here's the math. 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening, that's 30 minutes a day. For somebody who's just starting out, 30 minutes of reading is about 20 pages. 20 pages, five days a week, that's 100 pages a week. Now, you and I know most of these books, some of the ones that you referenced before you press record, they're only about 200 pages these days on average. So that's a book every two weeks if you're reading a half an hour a day, five days a week. That's 26 books in a year. So you'll probably mess up on the routine from time to time. You might not be able to do it five days a week. Maybe you can only do 15 minutes in the morning, but that's how we do it. Small little steps as Darren Hardy would say in the compound effect, small little steps in the right direction repeated over a long period of time will lead to disproportionately positive outcomes. That's that hockey stick curve, that exponential growth that we're all looking for. And so 15 minutes seems like a small little step, but how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Reading for 15 minutes, that's the bite. Show up every single day, read your 15 minutes. If you could do it twice a day, that's great. And you'll read 10 to 26 books, depending on how consistent you can do it. Yeah. And how life-changing is that? And how good do you feel because you've chosen to replace your time with something that's just high impact and, and more fulfilling? I found for myself, actually, um, I've noticed that my downtime, whether it be as I transition between things, even during meals, where instead of putting on a YouTube video and just kind of mindlessly being on my phone, I try and not be on Instagram. I delete the app, right? But there are times when, of course, like I just want to do something that's more brainless. I'm like, okay, I've earned it. It's been a hard day, whatever. And that's like a very logical argument. But I've actually started to fill that time with reading and literally just peeling through the pages of a book as I'm taking bites out of a bowl or something like that. And I think that takes the pressure off of when you step up to read. It's like, oh, it needs to be so perfect, so pristine, so valuable. It's like, 
literally just getting in the habit and exposing yourself to the information, you know, you can kind of determine the depth should you want to. And that's even just a way to create time. And then maybe the complexity or the impact comes over time once you get more comfortable with it. But you're absolutely right. It's it's like there's more than enough time in the day. It's just really a, a matter of what we value and making sure that that's prioritized in our schedule. Yeah, absolutely true. I remember, I think it was in Damon John's first book, The Power of Broke or something like that, where he said, everybody has 24 hours in their day, right? Warren Buffett has 24 hours in the day and look at what he's been able to do, right? And so do we, we have 24 hours in the day. I think it's Seneca that said, it's not that we have a short life, but we make it so because we choose to waste our time instead of use it in a productive way. And so, yeah, replace a little bit of meaningless stuff Shame to admit this, but I can't even remember the main characters and Netflix shows I watched like three months ago, <laughs> right? That's how meaningless that time was that I spent. Yeah. But the right book at the right time can change your life because it can solve problems, introduce you to a new paradigm shift that changes your life. Like there's so many amazing thing that, things that can happen when you choose to read a great book. Not too many great things are going to happen when you're watching Netflix or scrolling on Instagram. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. No, it's good. It's, it's all doable and uh, cool. All right. And now advancing into, okay, so we're reading more. Now, this is a question that I've had on my mind a lot, actually, um, which is how do I know that I'm reading the right things? Because there are so many books that are out there. You probably get recommended different books on podcasts, you know, different friends are reading different things that pique your interest. And that's always a great source to kind of figure out what's out there and what you might like, but with an extra level of intention saying, okay, if I'm going to invest my time, in this, let me make sure it is as high leverage as possible. And I'm maximizing the, the impact that it has on my life. So, you know, as it relates to reading the right things, uh, what are some of the things that you have people think about before even picking up a book to start? There are four or five different things that I think about, and we can cover, we can cover a couple of them. Number one, okay. I think that Books solve problems. That's a great way to stay emotionally connected to the material that you're reading and also prime yourself for action because taking action from the book solves a problem. It removes a pain. None of us like pain. In fact, I saw a Jordan Peterson quote, I think it was recently, where he was talking about how if you face a problem, if you experience pain on a daily basis over the next 30 years, so 365 times 30, You'll experience that pain, that problem almost 11,000 times. But life doesn't have to be that hard. Somebody else solved that problem. They wrote about it. They figured it out. It might have taken them 20 years, but they figured it out. And they made it available to you for $20 in a few hours of your time. So if you kind of slow things down, you identify the right book to solve that problem. We can talk about how to find it read the book and implement it, you can avoid the next 10,950 painful experiences. Books solve problems. The right book at the right time can change your life by removing pain. So that was a mindset shift for me that I think I went through maybe a year ago. And so I started to become more intentional about the books that I was recommending to people. Because if I just said, hey, Brian, read this, it changed my life. You're reading with my intention. But if instead I said, hey, Brian, tell me about the things that you're dealing with. What problems are you looking to solve? Is there a bottleneck in your business that I could help you overcome by recommending the right book? Now you're reading with your own intention for overcoming a problem. That's how I think about it. 
And so when you're looking for a book, there are a couple of things that I recommend as well. Number one, books that have a lot of reviews on Amazon, that means that they've done well over time. It means they're good. There's word of mouth momentum. People are recommending them. You mentioned a couple of your favorite books, Essentialism by Greg McEwen. You mentioned The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan and The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. All three of those books have a bazillion reviews on Amazon, not 20, not 40, but thousands because they're so great. They get talked about. And as a result, other people buy them. So look for books with a lot of reviews. And then when you get into the review section, I recommend tossing out the five-star reviews and tossing out the one and two-star reviews because those are typically written from a place of emotion. They don't have a lot of constructive feedback in them. But the three and four star reviews, that's where the magic happens. That's where you get somebody saying, here was my expectation. Here's what was delivered. Here's the difference. Or great book, but it was missing this. So that's what I love. I love the three and four star reviews on the books that have thousands and thousands of reviews that promise to solve your specific problem. I think that's the first place that people should go. And outside of that, books also help you develop skill sets. They satisfy curiosities. They humble you because they teach you about new subjects and industries that you knew nothing about previously. And uh, I have a list of personal inventory questions that you can go through in the book, Rise of the Reader, where you can go through some of these thought exercises and choose the right book for you. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's... uh... Yeah, there, there's so much out there, right? And that's the problem. It's like, you can't do everything. Or I guess you can, dude. You're like a, a library out there. Anytime I ask a question, you've got a quote <laughs> that's coming from the the library of, of books that you've read. What do you say? This is more of a selfish question. And this is also kind of part of our um, personal conversations. But what would you say about rereading books? You know, like, have you found that? Because you're a different person every time that you step up to a book. So there's a whole new meaning or value that's extracted from it. So like, what is your, actually, I want to ask your personal policy around rereading books. Like what books are criterias for that and and which, um, yeah. And, and like, what are you hoping to get out of it in a second or third read? The books? Well, a couple of things. I think there's a Buddhist saying something like you can never step in the same river twice. Number one, the river has changed, but number two, so have you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a new experience every time. I don't think you could ever read the same book twice because you've changed, you've evolved, you've grown in your reading with a new perspective, a new paradigm, a new set of glasses. You see the world through a different lens. So I think rereading books is extremely important. Here's how I think about it. If somebody listening today is just starting their personal development, self-development, self-improvement reading journey, I say, don't worry about rereading material. Read as many books as you can in different subjects. Read all the classics. Read things that interest you. Don't worry too much about it. And then as you start to build a foundation of understanding, you understand this world of personal development, you have favorites, you enjoy certain authors, you're solving certain problems, then I think you start to narrow your focus a little bit and you start to reread the books that have created the biggest change in your life. Because chances are, that book is going to create even more change if you reread it than the random book that you're going to pick up. So for me, I've consumed about 500 books, and I would argue that 5% of them, so 25, have created 95% of the change, the behavior change in my life. Interesting. So the books that create the biggest change, that give me the most aha moments, that change my health, my wealth, 
my relationships, my happiness, the books that have created the most actual change in reality for me, those are the books that I choose to reread. And there are 25 of them probably. I would say probably reread 10 books a year and I read about 90 new books a year. It's a lot of books, but (laughs) for anybody listening, this is kind of my full-time job. So I get (laughs) to read a lot. Yeah, no, I appreciate that perspective. And you're right. I mean, that's it's the 80-20 rule, but even further than that, which is there's a handful of books that have a disproportionate impact in your life. And I'm reflecting on my behavior change and my philosophies, what I teach, what I coach on, what I practice, right? And you're right. It just comes from a handful of these voices. And I think that's part of it too. It's like anyone, and both of us are creators, we're leaders, right? So you can talk about the the idea of like, oh yeah, there's already so many people talking about self-improvement. What can you add to the conversation? It's like, well, we all do say the same thing, you know, and all these books say the same thing, but they're being said in different ways. And so the ways that resonate most with you, those are the ones that you double down on, you continue to invest in because that same way hits you a little different, given that you're a different person in the same river, you know, experiencing it for a new time. There's just a lot of value in being able to renew your spirit that you already know works for you, you know? So that's not my personal policy right now is I'm rereading two books and then consuming one new one, uh, every kind of cycle of three. And I've found that it's really served me and I've been able to just go really deep on the things that I know work and still keep the curiosity and perspective of other new voices that I feel like could benefit me. But I just get extra specific with who those influences might be because, you know, you got to shoot your shot and make it count. So it, it holds it to a, a new high, higher quality for sure. Yeah. Specificity wins. I do think again, quantity matters more than quality when you first start your journey. Totally. And then once you have a great understanding of this experience of self-improvement, then quality matters. And you want to double down on quality. Somebody like Alex Hormozzi would say, reading the same book 100 times is better than reading 100 different books. And I think that I do agree with him, but you need to be a few years into that journey and you have to have read, you know, at least a couple dozen books before you understand what the most important books are for you. Well, and I'd also argue that you need to make sure that you're actually recalling and understanding and processing the things that are in those books. So let's get on to the next subject, which is your bread and butter and really what this book does that's different than any other book, you know, Rise of the Reader covers a lot of this, which is how do you get more out of what you're reading so that we can accomplish exactly what was the previous speaking point? How can we not make sure we're wasting our time? How can we extract the lessons and and actually drive value and behavior change in our lives? So there are a, a number of different tactics and kind of tangible ways for people to change their reading experience that you recommend. Let's Let's touch on two different layers of that. First, for the beginner, you know, what would you recommend for the beginner in terms of how they can get more out of what they're reading and, and kind of satisfying that curiosity? And then for a more advanced reader, what would you recommend for them to make sure that they're recalling and quoting the quotes uh, from the books uh, like you can? Well, I think for everybody, including beginners, it all starts with intention, which is a word that we've mentioned a couple of times. So nowadays, and I didn't actually articulate this in the best way possible with the first version of Rise of the Reader. But when I read a book these days, I start by setting an intention and my intention follows the SMART goal framework. So I highlighted this in the book in two different sections, but I'm sort of mashing them together. Interesting. So each and every time I open up a book now, I read the cover, I read the back cover, 
normally I've already identified what the the expected outcome is for the book, right? Solving a problem or developing a specific skill, but then I'll set an intention that follows the SMART goal framework. So for anybody that's not familiar, SMART is an acronym that stands for specific. Your goal needs to be specific, measurable. Peter Drucker says what's not being measured can't be managed. You need to measure, you need to know whether or not the book serves its purpose. A stands for attainable. You need to set a realistic goal, something that you can take action on. Some, you, know, you don't want something that will end up causing you to procrastinate because it's too overwhelming. R stands for relevant. You want to be emotionally connected to the book, to the outcome. Again, you want to choose something that is going to solve a problem or develop a skill for you. And T stands for time bound. You want to leverage Parkinson's law, which says that a task will expand to the amount of time that you give it. Meaning if you'd never set a deadline, you probably won't ever take action. But if you say by the end of November on your book goal, then you'll take better action. So let's say I was reading Essentialism by Greg McEwen, one of your favorite books. I would look at it. I would say, ah, doing more with less. Interesting. And then I would set a goal, something like find and implement at least one strategy for practicing essentialism, minimalism, reduction, simplification in my business by the end of November. So that is specific. I know what the goal is. It's measurable. Did you implement at least one strategy? It's attainable. Just one thing. It's relevant. It's emotionally connected because I'm moving and grooving in so many different directions. I'm constantly overwhelmed. And I know one of the calls to action in that book is to simplify things so that you can actually get more out of them. And then T, time bound. I'll write it on the inside cover of the physical book or on a sticky note on the back of an e-reader device or your phone in your notes section, wherever you want to put it. And I'll reread it every single time I go through another chapter. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling my brain what to filter for because the books offer so much, it can become overwhelming. But your brain has this really cool function called a reticular activating system. It's like a, it's like a highlighter. And so if you share your goal with the book, the book can share that information back with you and it will stand out like there's a potential strategy for me to implement and take action on. It gets exciting. And so, yeah, it's a filtering process, but setting that intention sets you up for taking action. And again, action is always the goal for these books. Yeah, I appreciate that lesson because I I do set intentions on the front cover of the books that I read, but they're they're empty. Right. And and that's what I'm realizing. It's like, oh, I, I do kind of give myself some filter, some highlighter to just give myself a general concept of what I'm looking for, but there's no outcome to it. It's more an awareness versus an actual tangible result I'm looking to chase. So I, I'm going to try that uh, on the next few books that I read and uh, and see kind of what comes through that. So thanks for that. Uh, okay. And then elaborating. So that's kind of the intention side of things. Then more tactically, as you're actually consuming the information, you know, I love the distinction you make where it's uh, reading and taking notes are different things, right? But we often try and do them at the same time. And then we're multitasking. So that, that's one clarification because I, I am a chronic note taker in books. So I'd love to, to get schooled on how I can improve that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you and I have both read so many productivity books that we know at this point, there is no benefit to multitasking, right? It will only hinder our performance. Yet we don't differentiate reading and note-taking. Reading is just visual and note-taking is multi-sensory. You've got a pen, you've got paper, you're reading, you're translating, transcribing. It's a totally different experience, yet we kind of lump them together. So what I started to do maybe a couple of years ago was I started to separate the two activities 
In today's experience, I'll read a book all the way through. And if I find something related to my intention, one of those potential actions that I could implement, I'll just quickly circle the page number, bracket it off, highlight it so that I can go back and reread only the most important information. Once I'm done with the book and I have a good understanding of the entire picture that the author is trying to portray to me, then I'll look at my intention again and I'll say, hey, from essentialism, I'm looking to implement at least one strategy for simplifying my business, let's say. Yet there are 10 potential actions that I could take. That's a separate process for me to go through and analyze those once I have a full understanding of the book. So here's what I do. I take those 10 and I'll rewrite them on a yellow legal pad. And I'll look at those 10 potential actions and I'll say, you know what? I bet one of these is going to create 90% of the impact that I'm looking for. Which one is it? And I'll spend time thinking about it, reflecting on it, visualizing myself, implement it. What would it look like if I had completed this? Then I'll just choose to take action on one or two things because those have the highest leverage. And what happens if you just take action while you're reading a book is that you don't have the full picture. Something that's 10 times more efficient could be on the next page. And here you are implementing something that might be meaningless in the grand scheme of things, which is why I advocate reading the entire book first and then rereading the most important information, things related to your intention that you've circled and bracketed off, putting them all in one place, and then choosing one or two things to implement. That's the process that's been working the best for me over the last couple of years. And it's so much more realistic to implement one thing fully or two things than it is to implement 10 or 20 or 30 things from a book. The ones with the most leverage, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, No, that's brilliant. And it goes back to the original point, which is if there's so much information, how do you actually get something from it? You know, and it's instead of it being the shelf help ego stroke of, yeah, look, I know all of these things. It's not translating to anything that changes your behavior, you know, and that's like you said, that's why we're reading. We're not doing it. Uh, I mean, some people read for entertainment, but for them, I mean, the reading that we're talking about is we're trying to solve problems, right? So yeah. how can we solve problems in our life? You know, so I, I love that angle. And I also love kind of implicitly you talked about environment and it just makes so much sense to me. I never thought of this, which is you're reading, you're on a couch, you're in bed, you're starting your day, you know, you're in a certain environment where you're consuming the material and you're not necessarily even in the right space to take action from it. So you read something that really piques your interest and then it's lost in 30 minutes or you go to sleep and then you're like, oh, what was that? Uh, well, I'm reading a book anyway and you move forward past it. And I love the idea of separating out to two different routines. It's you read and then you take action. And then when you take action, it's like part of your work day, I imagine, because this is this space with the technology tools and equipment you need to actually then put it in your calendar to be able to create your task list, to be able to incorporate it somehow. And that's how it actually moves from the pages into your life. And I've completely overlooked that because it's all about environment. I mean, I, I live by the idea of life design and environment, and I know you do too. And that's where um, it's, it's super exciting for me to realize that that's something I've been overlooking because it will help me to get more from my books. So that that's a great outcome for me from, from this conversation. Well, I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that you're going to put this into action. And mentioning environment, something else that I realized a couple of years ago from friends and family that would tell me that they had a hard time reading, I started to ask, when are you reading? And they would tell me, well, I read before I go to bed. And I started to think to myself, well, at the end of a long work day, where you've been struggling to manage the chaos all day long, you've exhausted your willpower. Then you go home and you're dealing with your kids or your spouse or family or whatever the case is. You've probably exercised as well, so you're exhausted. 
you know, then you watch TV and it's numbing for a few hours. And then you try to read before you go to bed. Like, no wonder you're falling asleep. (laughs) So what I do is I read when my energy is the highest because reading is so important to my routine. So I'll wake up in the morning. I'll go for a walk with my dog in the sun. I'll get the exercise endorphins kicked off. Then I'll go home. I'll change. I'll go to the gym. And I'll exercise in the morning for 45 minutes to an hour. I'll really get the exercise endorphins going. Then I'll go home. I'll meditate for 20 minutes. I practice transcendental meditation right now. And then I'll get my first cup of coffee. So at that point, I have the exercise endorphins flowing. I'm centered from the meditation, but I'm leveraging the caffeine, that new tropic. Right as it hits, my energy is sky high, but I'm also in the right headspace for reading. And then I'll crack open that book. And that is an effective environment for reading books. You maximize the potential for that book to change your life. You don't want to just sleep, like kind of sleepishly go right by something. There's an opportunity cost for reading at night from my perspective. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, and that's something, like I said, I've been doing it more midday during lunch as part of a break and it has been a totally different experience. All right, one final question. Yeah, and this is uh, this is probably on everyone's mind, so I'm going to ask it. So with the intention of someone who wants to read one self-improvement book that is foundational, right? So it's, the, it's to satiate the foundational uh, curiosity of like, all right, what is self-improvement about and what is the like, best way to pursue this? If you were to recommend one book with that intention, what is either your favorite or you feel like the most valuable for people to dive into? Well, we are cut from the same cloth, Brian, because I recommend The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Again, this book just states the fact that small steps in the right direction will compound into exponential progression, disproportionately positive results. And it's so achievable, manageable, little 1% improvements. That's all this is about. You can make 1% improvements in your health, in your happiness, in your wealth, and everything in between. And so for me, that's the foundational book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And a second option could be Rise of the Reader by Nick Hutchison. Well, you beat me to it. I was going to say in order to get the most out (laughs) of The Compound Effect, you got to read Rise of the Reader. Uh, Dude, Nick, thank you for coming on. Yeah. I mean, The Compound Effect, I read once a quarter. It is my absolute, it is my center in my personal development. And it is also super digestible, like 160 something pages. You can get through it in a week and a half and you feel really good at the end of it. Feel like there's a lot of actionable stuff. So thank you for your time today. Thank you for consolidating your decades of experiences into a book that we then get to benefit from just like all of the authors that you admire who've done that for you. And it, what's, it's what makes the world go round. So I, I appreciate you, Nick, and uh, looking forward to seeing uh, all of the impact that comes from this book and, and your work. I'm grateful for you. Thank you. There you have it. And a big thank you to our guest, Nicholas Hutchison. This is what I got out of our conversation. First is that like everything, our decisions around books need to be intentional. If you're reading for entertainment, great. If you're reading to learn, great. But more often than not, people read to improve something about their life, especially those who listen to a podcast like this. And that requires that you actually implement something from what you read. If not, then reading could be a form of self-sabotage, procrastinating on what you need to do, avoiding taking action before you feel ready. And it makes you feel like you're making progress where in reality, you're actually delaying. 
in order to be on the right side of that. Nick recommends that you set an intention before beginning a book. What problem are you solving and what result do you want to get out of reading this book? Then you get to read the book with an extra scan to address that intention. I've personally been doing this since our conversation and it has been a really helpful practice. If you found this conversation insightful, it's just the tip of the iceberg for what Nick has to say on the topic. If that's something you're looking for more support with, you can buy Nick's book, Rise of the Reader, by clicking the link in the description of this episode. And in the name of doing real things that can quickly and profoundly change the trajectory of your life, I'm including an explanation of the nine super habits that take only moments to complete but lead to full days of laser-focused productivity, consistently making healthy choices, and finding more personal fulfillment on a daily basis. You can check out all of that in the description as well and learn the nine super habits. I'm Brian Ford, and you grew today. Let's do it again tomorrow on Self-Improvement Daily.